The, uh, this morning's reading comes from Matthew ch- chapter 24, uh, starting at verse 42, and that can be found on page 993 of the Bibles. Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watched and would not, let, and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord.
So would you keep that passage open, Matthew 25, uh, 24 rather, it's on page 993, page 993. Let's pray. Father, Stephen reminded us in his prayers that you know our hearts. And Father, what's inside us is sometimes rather different from what we portray on the outside. But Father, we thank you that you see into us. And you know everything about us. You know our thoughts. You know our habits. You know our desires. You know where we stand in our relationship with other people and where we stand in relationship with you. So, Father, please, would you, by your Holy Spirit, help us to see something of the truth about ourselves so where there is darkness in our hearts, we can receive your light. Where there's a need for healing in our lives, we can receive your healing and restoration, where there's a need for change, that we're willing to embrace the change that you want for us, where there's a need for repentance, that we will be willing to repent. Father, we thank you that the coming of light is the coming of goodness and hope. So please help us to welcome your word to us with open hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's coming up to Christmas. It's a season we call Advent. Reminds us that 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus Christ was born in Nazareth, uh, in, in Bethlehem, and grew up in Nazareth. Son of God came to us. God came amongst us, was present with us in the person of Jesus Christ. But Advent is a season to reflect on something else as well. It is this, that the Jesus who came to us in great humility born the same way in so many ways that we are, every single one of us, that experience of birth, just the same. It's a reminder that the Jesus born as a baby who grew up and taught and did the most amazing things and announced the coming of your kingdom and the bringing of hope and the call to join that kingdom, kingdom and to do embrace that through repentance and faith, and who died that victorious death on the cross where he conquered death and ushered in the beginning of the new age, the age to come, through his resurrection. It's a reminder that he's coming back. He's coming back. And one day, all of us, all of us, 
will have to give an account of our lives. Because you see, your life and mine is not your life or my life. It is a gift. It has been entrusted to us. It belongs to Jesus. And one day, just like those servants who were called to account by their master, one day we will have to give an account of our lives. And we'll have to give that account to Jesus Christ. And so Advent is a time for us to do something that we're not always very good at. It's to be serious. Because life's a serious business. And Jesus is coming. And one day we will have to give an account of our lives. Do you you know there's a clock ticking in heaven? A secret clock. Did you know that? On that clock, it's got a date and a time. And Jesus says the only person who knows about that is the Father. It's a secret. Nobody else knows. But there is a clock, and it's ticking, and it gives the time when Jesus will return. It is not a question of whether he will. It is a question of when. And no one knows except the Father. And the clock is ticking. Jesus is coming back. And he will come back and draw the whole of creation that will stand before him and have to give answer to him. And so the question I want to ask this Advent time is this. How should we live in the light of the Advent of Jesus? That is, of his coming. And I've got four words for you this morning. Four Advent words. First word is today. The second word is prepare. The third word is act. And the fourth one is beware. Four words. First one is today. You know, life just goes on most of the time, doesn't it? You know, tomorrow's shopping, Tuesday's Pilates, Wednesday is run the kids to school, or go and do whatever it is. The, 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 just the ordinariness of life continues. For most of us, we are so blessed to live in a place like this where shocks don't regularly happen. And when we do have some tragedy, some shock in our life, it takes us by surprise because... Most of our life is so predictable, which has its own problems, but it does give us that sense of, this is safe. I don't need to worry too much. No sense of urgency. I can put things off. And that sense of the ordinariness, the predictability of life, A life without too many shocks for most of the time, for most of us, 
a comfortable existence can lull even followers of Jesus into a sense of complacency. And did you notice in that reading that we had that Jesus is so concerned that people recognize the urgency of what he's saying? Nobody knows, he says, when he's going to return. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And therefore, the important thing is to act today. It's 2,000 years since Jesus came. Be easy to think. Might be another 2,000 years. Doesn't need to worry me. But, but do you notice the sense of urgency in the passage? And he gives two examples. Have a look at verse 37, would you? We are going to get into the text. Verse 37 of chapter 24. He says, do you remember about Noah? Noah is in the Bible so that kids and leaders have something to teach, isn't it? <laughs> That's why it's there. Not. The story of Noah is a story about judgment. It's a precursor. It's, it's a rehearsal. It is a pointer to, it is an example to the great judgment that's coming when Jesus returns. And he says, in the days of Noah, what were people doing? Well, have a look at verse 37. They were going about, and they were going to coals, and they were going to woolies, or whatever they had back then in that area. They, they were getting married. They were doing the ordinary stuff. Meanwhile, there's this crazy guy called Noah who's building an ark. There is no water there. It's not raining. There's no sea. And here is this crazy guy who year after year after year has devoted his life to building this huge ark. And meanwhile, life goes on. Birth, marriage, death, birth, marriage, death. The ordinariness of life. What was there to worry about? Why should they take note of the fact that there's a crazy guy building an ark? Look at what he says. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark... And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You do not know. You don't know how much longer you have to live. And you do not know when Jesus is coming. That's the point. And therefore there is an urgency. It's today. Not deal with what you need to deal with about God and about your life. Not deal with repentance tomorrow or next week. But today, because today is all you can be certain of. Today's the day. Live for today. And then he gives this other example, which I love. It's about a thief in verse 43. I, I, that's so unwillaby, isn't it? We don't have break-ins in Willoughby, do we? I mean, our Tarman bit dodgy there, and as for Roseville, middle-class theft. Anyway, here's a thief, and Jesus says, wouldn't it be great if the thief put a 
postcard through the door or sent an email or did a Twitter and tweeted on Thursday early in the morning at half past two on the 27th of this month, I just wanted you to know I will be breaking in and stealing everything of value. Wouldn't that be great? It doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen. It's exactly the same Jesus says with the coming of the Son of Man. He will just come in the midst of the ordinariness of life, life continuing. One day, he will come. So here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Verse 42, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 44, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Do today what you need to do. If it's dealing with repentance, deal with it. If it's dealing with some relationships, deal with it. If it's that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, do it today. First word is today. Second word is prepare. In chapter 25, uh, Jesus tells another story, which I'm not going to read, but you can look at it later. I'll just tell you the gist of it. It's about a wedding, and there are ten young girls, and they've been chosen to form part of the procession for the bridegroom. It's a very different kind of setting from a marriage here in Willoughby, I know, but just bear with me. So here are these ten girls, and the idea is that after he's been to the first part of the wedding, there will be a bridegroom's procession. And it's in the evening, and so here are the young girls, and they've got these lamps. It's a very touching scene, isn't it? It would be very atmospheric in the blackness, no street lights, these oil lamps lining the way as the bridegroom comes. But the bridegroom's obviously having a great time doing whatever the bridegroom is doing, and he's late. In fact, he's so late that they all go to sleep, all of them. And then the shout goes up, he's coming. And they all wake up, and they turn to their oil lamps, and they're all empty. They've all gone out. But five of them have brought extra oil. And so they fill those lamps and they're able to light them and so they're ready for when the bridegroom comes. But five of them didn't bring any extra oil. And the bridegroom comes. And those girls who have the lighted lamps are welcomed into the celebration and then the door is shut. And the other five who've not been able to get any more oil and so can't light their lamps find themselves excluded from the party. What's the message? Prepare for the long haul, that's what. Discipleship is a, life, a lifetime's business. You know, maybe you became a Christian just recently. Um, we had a, an affirmation service not long ago, and some people were saying, yeah, we've become followers of Jesus over this last little while. Or maybe you can remember when you became a follower of Jesus and you were so enthusiastic, so full of what it meant to know that your sins were forgiven, that you had a relationship with God, you were so excited. 
But now it's three years on, five years on, 10 years on, 20 years on, 40 years on. Being a Christian of the long haul is a different issue from being a Christian for five minutes. And you don't know how long your life will be. And Jesus is saying, prepare for the long haul. Prepare for delay. That's a message to the church as well. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, so we need to prepare for a long period. That's why what we do today is really important for what happens in the future. We need to prepare for the future. Prepare for the long period. That means individually putting things in place in your life that will sustain you over the long run. Practices, spiritual disciplines, meeting with God's people, for example, reading your Bible, praying, being accountable to people, using your money in a way that's godly, guarding your mind, witnessing to people for Jesus. Prepare for the long haul. Because if you don't, there's a danger that the wheels will come off. Initial enthusiasm won't sustain in the long run. So, today, prepare. Third one, act. Verse 14 of chapter 25 is about a guy who's very wealthy and he has some servants and He's going to go off on a long journey. Verse 19 says he's away for a very long time. And so what does he do? He entrusts his fortune to his three servants. And you'll notice in verse 15 that he gives them responsibility that matches who they are. He doesn't give any of them more responsibility than they can deal with. So one of them gets three bags of gold, another one gets two, and one of them gets one. And then he goes away. And then a long time later, he comes back. And I can kind of imagine the conversation. Oh, he's back. Ah. Hey, how did you get on, boss? Good time? What was the scenery like? It's been a long, long time. Didn't think you'd be so long. But the master has some questions. What have you done with what I entrusted to you? It's my money. You're my servants. You are accountable. What have you done? And the first two, the one with three and the one with two, they've invested the money and made a return. Five. Sorry, five bags. Last one has just got one. And I want you to notice what happens. The one with five, uh, with one bag. Verse 26 of chapter 25. Let's take it just a little bit 
further the, back to 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. He's done nothing. He knows he's responsible. He knows he's been given the, the, this, this money, this fortune to look after. But look at the condemnation in verse 26. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You wicked, lazy servant. He hasn't been given more responsibility than he can deal with. He is wicked because he didn't care about his master. And he has a very jaundiced view, clearly, of his master. And he's lazy. He's done nothing even though he knew he would be held to account. What's the point of the illustration? Your life and mine doesn't belong to us, it belongs to our master, who is Jesus. And he's made you the person that you are, and he hasn't made you somebody else. And he's not going to ask you to be somebody else. He's going to ask you simply to take your life and do what you can do with it to take the gifts that you've got, to take the circumstances that you're in, to use the opportunities that are uniquely yours to do what you can to serve Jesus Christ and his cause. And you're willing to act. This is a condemnation of passivity, isn't it? It's about doing nothing. Do something. Act. So, four words. We're on the last one now. The last one is this. It's beware. Beware. In, at the end of chapter 25, from verse 31, we come to the climax of these stories. It's an illustration. It's an amazing illustration, actually, of high drama. The picture is of Jesus described as the Son of Man in verse 31, and he's on the throne of God, and he's delivering judgment to all the nations. Can you imagine that? This isn't a local visiting judge. The picture is of the whole of the creation being brought and being held to account. That's the high drama of the account. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. And then He uses an illustration, which would have been very easy to understand in first century Middle East. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. In the first century, sheep and goats would often feed together, and it was 
very, very hard to tell them apart. But every so often what the shepherd would do is separate out the sheep and the goats because they're different. And that's the illustration that Jesus is using here. What is there to beware about here? Dramatic scene, world judgment, Jesus on the glorious throne, calling the nations and all individuals to account. What's he going to say to them? Is he going to berate them because of massive injustice, because of genocide, because of war? What's he going to raise? Well, have a look. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. But then look at how it continues. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And Jesus' reply is really crucial for us to understand. Here's the shock. Look at it. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you notice the contrast? The high drama of the judgment seat. And what's the criteria for judgment? Simple, ordinary, first century hospitality. Welcoming in the stranger and the outsider. Sharing your home with them. Sharing meals with them. Taking food to the prisoners because otherwise they would starve because the prison wasn't going to provide food. Helping people who are sick. Those who are in need. Simple, ordinary, first century hospitality. What's going on here? Well, the first thing to say is that the criterion for judgment is how they have treated the followers of Jesus. Notice what it says. He describes them in verse 41 as his brothers and sisters. This is about the family of Jesus. Family of Jesus are the apple of his eye and how they are treated, even the least of them. And notice it's the least of them, not those who hit the headlines, but those at the bottom of the pile, the outsiders, the strangers, those in need, those who are sick, those who are in prison. It's how followers of Jesus have been treated. That's the criterion for judgment. And as I say, it's about small acts of kindness, about compassion, 
about showing hospitality. In fact, it's so small that the righteous aren't aware that they're doing it. Verse 37, when did we do that? Because Jesus is saying, what you did to them is what you're doing to me. When did we do that? You see, they're just being sheep. They're just doing what sheep do. It's a really important lesson here. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, then they start to change because God starts to change them. They start behaving like sheep. (laughs) And this is a description of what sheep do. And notice how deep this goes. It goes to the smallest level, the smallest acts of kindness to a stranger, helping those in need. Here's the warning. It's not the big things that are the really important measure of how well we're doing. It's how we perform in the small areas. The ones that don't bring kudos to us. The ones that don't give us status. Treating people who will never be able to reward us. That often it isn't seen. It doesn't benefit us. Nobody says, wow. It's a warning It's not the big things that are the most accurate measure of how we're doing. It's the small things. And when Jesus does a work by his Spirit in people's lives, it goes that deep. And of course, because you can't tell sheep from goats, they were doing that to everybody. That's why they didn't know. They were treating the sheep and the goats exactly the same because they didn't know the difference. The criteria for judgment, the climax of this account, is not about the big things. It's about how we've done in the small things. Because the small things reveal what's truly in our hearts. So beware. Because you're in the public eye doesn't mean you're doing well. It's what you do in the small things. Four words today. Do what you need to do today because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Prepare well. What are you doing now to prepare for the long haul? If you're parents, what are you doing now to prepare your children to be followers of Jesus in the long haul? Because now's the day to do it. Not when they get a bit older. Not when they become teenagers. Not when they become young adults. It's now. An act. Don't just have great ideas, do something. And finally, beware. You know, the warnings of Jesus are there for our good. They're there for our good. He warns us because he cares about us. As Matt said right at the beginning, He comes in humility the first time so that we can come and experience forgiveness and be drawn into his kingdom and that's all gift, all gift.
But then what happens after that? What are we doing with the life God has given us and the new life that he's given us if we're in Jesus Christ? One day we'll have to give an account. Let's pray. Father, these are some of the most serious words in the whole of the New Testament. Some of the most searching words that were ever uttered by the Lord Jesus. Some of us may find them very uncomfortable. Father, you want them to be uncomfortable because you want to change us for our good. So please help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.